Welcome, and thank you for joining us in today's teaching as we continue our study through the book of Revelation. Here is Pastor Greg. Revelation chapter 22, verse 6 to 21. Two, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is really, I could say, it's, it's going to be our new home in heaven. And we know that Jesus had told his disciples, he says, that I'm going to be leaving. But when I leave, there, uh, there's uh, many mansions, many dwelling places that are being prepared for you. And I'm going to come back, Jesus said. I'm going to take you to be where I am, and there you're going to be with me forever. What a... What great words. As the disciples really sat and listened to those words, just wondered, where are you going? But he says, I'm coming back. And that's the hope, that's the confidence that we have as believers. That Jesus Christ, just as he came the first time, he's coming back for us. But we were looking uh, a couple weeks ago at this new Jerusalem, this new home in heaven. And John, the first thing that really John saw was this great city, this holy Jerusalem, it says. He sees it descending out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I have three daughters, and all of them are married now. I've been able to go through all the process of three weddings. And you know what? If you have daughters and you've seen them, get, you know all the details. You know all the things that are involved. And then preparing themselves really to walk that aisle. It's grueling. But it's detailed. And when that bridegroom is standing there, waiting for the bride to walk down the aisle. We stand there just with our eyes fixed as this bride comes walking down the aisle. John is likening this great city, this holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. It must have been incredible what John was seeing. But the first thing that we read that John sees of this great city is that it was showing forth the very glory of God. Translucent, probably a little bit in appearance, is the way it seems to be described. But he sees this lighted city, and we're told that it was like a most precious stone, like jasper, clear as crystal. And then John sees that this angel takes this golden reed, this measuring reed, and he takes it and he begins to measure the city and measure its gates and measure the wall. 
And we're told that the city measured 1,500 different calculations, but somewhere between 1,300 and 1,500 miles. It was a cube. It was, it's square. All the sides were equal. But if you take 1,500 square miles, that equates to 3.375 billion cubic feet of space. This is going to be the largest house that you have ever lived in. This new Jerusalem. It's Length, its width, and its height are all equal. The wall of this city, we're told, measures somewhere around 200 to 250 feet tall. Some people interpret this as being the thickness of the wall. That it's 200 or 250 feet thick. It's actually giving measurements in Scripture, and I take it for what it says. The city had 12 gates. Each one of them was of one pearl. 12 gates, three on each side of the walls. At each of those gates, we're told that there were 12 angels that stood there, one at each gate. And each gate had written on it the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. A reminder of God's promises and covenants to his people Israel that's going to go on for eternity in that new Jerusalem. It had 12 layers of foundations. And each foundation, we're told, has one of the names of the 12 apostles written on it. Another reminder of the foundation and God's apostles in the early church, a reminder for eternity, these 12 apostles. But first, the angel shows John, really, the outside of the city. As John is sitting there and the angel is giving him this vision of this new Jerusalem, he's just simply seeing the outside of this magnificent city and the glory of it. But then the angel begins to give John and tell John some of the things on the inside of this city. And more specifically, what things will not be on the inside of this city. We read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, and I'm sorry for you beach lovers that there's going to be no more sea. In verse 4, we read, there's going to be no more tears. Do we have any criers here this morning? No more tears, at least for the things that would make us sad. There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more mourning. There's going to be no more crying and no more pain. He actually lists 12 different things here that are not going to be in this city. In verse 6, there's going to be no more thirst. For really every desire is going to be satisfied there in heaven. There's going to be no more wickedness according to verse 8 and also verse 27. 
There's not going to be anything in this city that's going to defile the city or cause an abomination or a lie. (laughs) Isn't that going to be great? Verse 22 says there's going to be no more temple for God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Verse 23 says there's no more night for the glory of God illuminates it. In verse 25, no more closed gates. <laughs> no more alarm systems. No more locks. Joe and Jack won't be employed there in heaven. You know, and you, you won't be making them in heaven. No locks there anymore. No security systems. And lastly, in verse 22, chapter 22, verse 3, no more curse. That might be one of my favorites. No more struggling with sin. No more temptation coming your way. All of those things are going to be done. Behold, all things are made new. I mean, that should cause a hallelujah. Praise the Lord in all of us this morning. You know, I was talking with my mom just a few nights ago and uh, on the phone and she was telling me and I talked to her regularly my mom and dad are both Christians they love the Lord but my mom was telling me that her arthritis was getting so bad that it was getting hard to walk she said you know I can't believe that I'm almost 80 years old I started thinking to myself, stop it, you know, because you saying that makes me feel old, you know, but I can't believe I'm, I'm about to turn 80. She said, you know, I come home from church on Sunday and she goes, I, I feel so tired. I feel like just crawling into bed. You know, and as I sat there and I listened to her, what came to my mind and I was actually sitting there studying for this morning I said, Mom, I said, my title for this Sunday's message is, Surely I Am Coming Quickly. You know, my mom needed some encouragement, some, incom- some comfort, really, as I was speaking to her. And, I, you know, I, I think for all of us, we all need that, don't we? We need comfort. We need assurance at times that really can only come from the things of God. God is really our peace. He's our assurance. He's our comfort. He's the God of all comfort. You know, as we read through the book of Revelation here, we see numerous times some words that I believe bring us really great comfort. The first time we see this is in chapter 3, verse 11. It says, and this, these letters are in red letters. These are Jesus' words. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. And then we go to chapter 22, which is the chapter that we're in this morning, in verse 7. 
you can look at your Bibles, it says, Behold again, I am coming quickly. In chapter 22, verse 10, it reads, For the time is at hand. We read these same words in chapter 1 of Revelation in verse 3. It says, for the time is near. And then look at verse 12 in your Bibles. Behold, I am coming quickly. And then in verse 20, surely I am coming quickly. And then the response to that verse Amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. I mean, is that really your heart this morning? Would that be a prayer that you would pray, Lord, come quickly. I'm looking forward to that day when you come. You know, the second coming of Jesus Christ, it's a promise that you can count on. You, it's going to happen, Christians. You can count on it. It's our hope, isn't it? It's, 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 it's what encourages us to continue to go forward when things are difficult in life. It brings comfort to us when we're in times of trial, when we're, when we're under the gun. It comforts our heart to think, you know what, this is all temporary. This isn't going to go on forever. As I spoke with my mom, to me, that was words of comfort for her. But for my mom to say, you know what? She said, I hope the Lord returns soon. That's what she said to me. I hope we return soon. And she was saying that in light of just how she was feeling. And Jesus' words, surely I am coming quickly. You know, the Apostle Paul, he was one that encouraged quite often, but there was a church called Thessalonica. We read of Paul's words of encouragement to them because there were people in the church in this time that were concerned about those who had passed on. He uses the word they had fallen asleep, meaning that he was talking about believers. What's going to happen to those that have fallen asleep in Jesus was their concern. Are they going to miss out on something? And they needed some encouragement and really some comfort. This is what Paul said to them and when he wrote his letter to them. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, He says, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you guys believe that? If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you believe that, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. How many of you have loved ones that have passed on? Joe is going to be going for a funeral this week. Keep him in prayer. And Ashley and all of Joe's family, his grandmother passed away. Keep him in prayer as he's going to be 
wanting to minister words of hope to the family there. But those of us that have loved ones that have gone on, it's our hope that we're going to be reunited. But Paul says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And we're told that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's our hope. And it's not that I'm hoping it's going to happen, but with confident expectation I'm waiting for that day. But then Paul finishes what he just said there by this. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I felt like I needed to comfort my mom in that conversation with those words that the Lord is coming back quickly. Today we're going to finish the book of Revelation. You know, it's really, it could be the last time that you read the book of Revelation today. Why? Because the Lord could come back today. You may close the book today and we may go home to be with the Lord. I don't know that we always live with that kind of expectancy. Somehow or another, our minds tell us, you know, tomorrow's another day. We're getting up and going to work tomorrow. But you may not. Look in your Bibles at Revelation 22, verse 6. We read, Then he, the he is an angel, said to me, These words, and these words that he's talking about are the words of the book of Revelation, these words are faithful and true. God tells us, In the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, he tells us the beginning of all things, doesn't he? Book of Genesis, he gives us the beginnings. But in the book of Revelation, he doesn't leave us wondering. What's going to be the end of all things? He told us the beginning, but what's going to be the end? Well, he hasn't left us wondering. He's told us what the end of all things are going to be. But know this, that every word that we have read through the book of Revelation here, down to the very word, is going to come to pass. It's going to come to pass in detail, just as we've read it. The only question that we have to ask ourselves is, do you believe it? Do we believe what we just read? Is it having an effect on us? You know, some people think that if they say, I don't believe something, that it won't happen. Maybe you were one of those people. You know, people say, well, I don't believe the Bible. 
And because I don't believe it, that means it's, it's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. That's false. That's not the way that you even are able to judge truth. Some people say, I don't believe in hell. So there's no hell. No, that's not the way it works. Just because you don't believe that there's not a hell doesn't mean there's not one. I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. That doesn't mean he didn't raise from the dead. You just simply don't believe it. You know, the truth is that every word, every prophecy, every promise that we find in God's word, it's either already come to pass or it's still going to come to pass. Down to the very details that we read in the Bible. There's a couple of sources that you can look at uh, of Bible prophecy. And there are people that have tried to count how many Bible prophecies are in the Bible. Uh, Some figures range from 1,800, even up to 2,500. And it all has to do with how you count the prophecies. If one verse has, uh, some people count one verse as one prophecy, but some people count that there's, within one verse, there's three prophecies within it. And so they come up with different numbers. But just to give you a sense of how much prophecy is in Scripture, 1,800 to 2,500 different prophecies, and three-quarters of those prophecies have already been fulfilled. There's still another quarter that needs to be fulfilled. Most of those of what we're reading here in the book of Revelation and related passages. But Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 5, verse 18, he says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. You know, the jot is the smallest Hebrew letter out of the Hebrew alphabet. And the tittle is the smallest punctuation mark. Jesus says not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until all is fulfilled. His name rests upon what he, the statement he just made here. That all of these things will be fulfilled as he said they would be. And why does the angel say the words of this book are faithful and true in our verse here? I believe it's because the one who spoke it is faithful and true. That's why he's making the statement about all the words of this book. They're faithful and true because the one who spoke it is faithful and true. We read in Revelation 19.11, At the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth, John saw heaven open before his eyes, and behold, he saw this white horse, and he who sat on it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Our Lord is faithful and true to everything that he has told us here. You can count on it. You can bank on it that it's going to happen. We just need to be at times reassured. We need to look back at it. We need to come back to these promises 
and say, Lord, stir my heart once again. I've lost sight of it. All of the words of God are faithful and true, not just the book of Revelation, all of it. We read the first, very first book of the Bible, the first verse of that book, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? (laughs) How about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all? Amen. The last verse of the Bible. From beginning to end, he's going to be faithful with all of it. Everything in between. We also read in verse 6, And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. We see a similar verse in chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, speaking about Jesus, to show his servants things which must shortly take place. This was written 2,000 years ago, 1,800 plus years ago. The things that we're reading here must shortly take place. The day is near. People get confused with that. Well, where is it? I mean, in my mind, shortly is like it's going to happen today. Not 1,800 years later. But remember that in God's perspective of things, you know, one day is is a thousand years to the Lord. In eternity, we don't think that the clock is not going to be hanging up on the wall. And for God, it's a short amount of time. Your life is really short. You know, if you live to be a hundred, you beat all the odds. But life is short. But the Lord is coming back quickly. Verse 6 says that the Lord God showed his servants. But then we read in verse 1 that Jesus showed his servant. Seems like he's saying two things. Jesus showed his servant. God, Lord God showed his servant. Which, Which one showed his servants these things? Well, it's really both. Why? Because Jesus is God. The Lord God, Jesus, they show to show his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Look at verse 7. My Bible has it in red letters. If you have a red letter edition Bible, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. You know, I believe that the Bible, that it teaches the eminency of Christ's return. This word eminency uh, means that uh, the time is near. It it, it speaks about uh, the fulfillment of these things as being eminent. It's near, it's close, it's coming. And I believe as Christians that we should be living with that kind of expectation. 
Not losing sight of the fact that the Lord could come back quickly. That he's coming quickly. That he's on his way. There are some that believe and teach that there are things that have to first transpire before Jesus Christ can return. One of the things they say is, you know what? Not every people, tribe, nation, and people in the world have heard the gospel. So I can tell you for sure that Jesus Christ could not come today. We still have translations and languages that have not been developed. But I have a problem with that. Because what I see in Scripture is that we're called to be watching and ready. When I look and I read in the, in the Word of God, the Word of God tells me that we need to be on our guard, watching and ready, because the Lord could come at any moment. God's going to deal with all the people, tribes, nations. He's going to use angels even during the tribulation period. There is going to be God's ways of reaching this world with the gospel. I don't know that it's going to be the church that's going to accomplish that task, but God will accomplish it. It is true that no one knows the day or the hour of his coming. Don't ever let anyone tell you that they do. Or if you read something of a date... No one knows the day or the hour. But we do know that he's coming soon. We do know that he's coming quickly, that it's near, that it's imminent. It's going to happen. When we read in this verse 7, blessed, or we could say happy is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I need to ask us the question, now that we're finishing up the book of Revelation, we're we're bringing a whole, over a year now that we've been in this book as a church. What effect has it had on you? Is Is it just words on a page? Is it just another book? Or has it had an effect on you? Has it challenged you in your walk? Has it changed you? Has it made you, maybe uh, uh, given you a greater desire to be a witness for Jesus Christ? What has the book of Revelation done in you? It might be worthy of going back and reviewing it and reading through it again. In 1 John 3, 3, we read this, that everyone who has this hope In him purifies himself as he is pure. There is a purifying effect that goes on in the life of a believer. I believe when he is living with the expectancy of Christ's return. I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't want to be in a place of compromise the day that the Lord returns. Because it's going to happen in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. There's not going to be time to kind of put those sins aside. And so there is this purifying effect for those that are living in that expectancy. We read in verse 8, look in your Bibles. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. 
For I am your fellow servant and your brother, brethren, the prophets. And of those who keep the words of this book, he says, worship God, John. Don't worship me. I'm an angel. I, you know, I'm not one to be worshipped. But it makes you ask, and really this is not the first time. We read in Revelation 19 the same thing. Where John saw that vision of all of the, the uh, believers that were assembled there in heaven for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And they were all crying out in worship, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And I believe that John was caught up in the moment as he saw all of these things around me. And it says that John fell at the feet of this angel and began to worship him. And the angel said the same words to John then. John, worship God. But you know what? Who knows what we would have done? Put yourself in that instant of just seeing what he was seeing. It would make you probably want to hit the ground also before this angel. In verse 10 we read, And the angel said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand, John. Don't seal the the words of this book. What's interesting is that in the book of Daniel, you read in chapter 12, verse 4, that Daniel, when he was receiving this vision from the Lord, he was instructed to shut up the words and to seal the book until the time of the end. He says many are going to run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. You see, when Daniel was receiving this vision from the Lord, this was 539 B.C. There were things that were not meant for him to be able to grasp and understand and to clearly uh, understand at that time. And so he was instructed to shut up the words and to seal the book until the time of the end. But here's the Apostle John, 95 A.D., that he is writing here the words that we're reading of in the book of Revelation. And now these prophecies that we're reading in our Bible today, it's time. In 95 AD, it was time for the church, for the unfolding of these prophecies and these truths to come forth to the church that you might now be able to understand and grasp what the end of these things will be. John was told in verse 10 here, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. And because it's not sealed, I believe it's meant for us to understand it. If it's not sealed, then that means that when I'm reading it, I'm supposed to be able to understand it. And why would... God give us all of the book of Revelation and and tell us these things if it's something that we really couldn't understand. There's people out there who say, you know, I stay away from the book of Revelation. You know, there's too much much controversy. It's too hard, too difficult to understand. We don't know, you know, there's so much symbolism. We can't understand all these things. Why would Jesus give us a book that we can't understand? John says the time is at hand. It's near. It's eminent. 
And then look at verse 11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. That word still means yet, as yet, is really what he's saying, which really uh, is speaking about really the permanent character of the unsaved and the saved. In other words, uh, the destiny of the unsaved is not going to change. When Jesus Christ comes back, there is no second chances. People are not going to be repenting and turning to the Lord. They are set on the path that they are. And the day that Christ comes back, that destiny is set for the unrighteous and for the righteous. He who is unjust, he who is filthy. In other words, people who choose to continue in their sin will remain in their sin. They, they will stay in that place with really no possibility of change. That's why the Lord says today is the day of salvation. Don't put off till tomorrow what you should really do today, for today is the day of salvation. Your life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment and it's gone in an instant. And people go on in this world somehow thinking that they got more days, especially our young people in this world. Oh, yeah, I'm young. I'm not going to die. And they go on and on in life like life is just going to go on. It's a deception. Your life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment. And then it vanishes. We already read in chapter 9, verse 21, that after the sixth trumpet judgment, that brings forth all of this death upon the earth, that there are going to be people that are going to survive the plagues that come down after the trumpet judgments. But this is what it says of them. They did not repent of the works of their hands. Even after all of that, they did not repent. We also read about the plagues of the bull judgments that come down upon this earth. And we're told that men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail. They didn't even turn in repentance. They began to blaspheme God because of their pain. And when we read here, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. They're going to remain in that place. Unless the Holy Spirit draws a person, no one will come. And when God stops pulling at a person's heart, there is no hope for salvation. But he who is righteous, he who is holy, we're told will continue in righteousness and holiness. Both have to do, both of these have to do with destiny. Look at verse 12. We see it again. Red letters. And behold, I am coming quickly, eminent. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Paul says in Romans 13, 11, he says, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Every day that goes by, 
your salvation. That day, the Lord's coming quickly. It's, it's closer today than it was yesterday. He's on his way. He's coming back. The reward here that we read about that it, he has in his hand, that he is holding, I believe is a reward really for believers and unbelievers. Did you know that believers are going to be rewarded someday for what they have done in the name of the Lord and God's going to test every motive and reward you for that? But did you know there's going to be a reward for the unjust? For those that have rejected Christ? That they also, that the Lord holds in his hand the reward that he is going to give to everyone according to his work. Jesus says in verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And this is probably out of your Bibles. This would be a great one to underline and to keep in in your mind because it really just speaks really about uh, Jesus Christ being God God himself. This is about his deity, uh, who he claims to be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I've shared this already that the word uh, that alpha and omega, it's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He says, I'm the first and last and everything in between. Jesus is really saying, I'm God. The Bible says that he is, doesn't it? Why do people wrestle with that? Why do they wrestle with Jesus' claim that he was God? We go to the Old Testament and we read in Isaiah 41, 4, It says that I, the Lord, am the first, and I am the last, I am He. Talking about God Himself. Using the same terminology. I am the Lord, I am the first, I am the last, I am He. In verse, in chapter 43, verse 10, it says, That you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I think that's pretty clear. God says there's no God before me, there's no God after me. There's only one. And I'm the Lord, I'm the first, I'm the last. And in chapter 44, verse 6 of Isaiah, we read, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. There's not little gods out there, other, you know, there is only one God. In the New Testament, we read in Revelation 1 7. It says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. (laughs) Who got pierced? Jesus Christ. All of the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. And it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is the words of Jesus now, red letters. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Is Jesus God? Yes, He is. Revelation 1.10. 
We read, And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a as, as, as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. This was going to be John's vision of the glorified Christ. And in verse 17 we read, And when I saw him speaking about Jesus Christ, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, John. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Is Jesus God? (laughs) Yes, he is. He just said so right here. Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. And they may enter in through the gates into the city. Those that will have the right to the tree of life. If you're born again and you know Christ as your Savior, you're going to have the right to walk in or to come into that city and to go to the tree of life. You have the right to the tree of life. Did you know that we're told that when you become born again, as a Christian, we're told that as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. You need to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And when you receive him, he gives you the right to become the child of God. When we enter into that kingdom someday, our new home, we're going to have the right to the tree of life because he has given us the right to it. He says, blessed are those who do his commandments. We read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, he says, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If you want to know how you can know you're a Christian, then look at your own walk and say, do you have a desire to be obedient to the word of God? And you say, yes, I do. Then there, that's a good indicator that you know him as your Lord and Savior. He who says that I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, John says, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, that answers the question of what commandments are we talking about. Whoever keeps the commandments of God is keeping the whole counsel of God's word. Not just the Ten Commandments but the counsel of his word. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him, and by this we know that we know him, or that we are in him. We also read in the book of James in chapter 1, Therefore, James says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You see... It's one thing to hear the Word of God, and we hear it quite often. And it's another thing to do it, to put it into practice, isn't it? That's where it gets hard. 
We read on in verse 15, but outside are dogs and sorcerers. Outside the city he's talking about are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. They're outside the city. You know, dogs in Scripture always speak of the morally impure. The Jews thought of the Gentiles as Gentile dogs. Dogs weren't the pets we know of. They're a Gentile dog. The immoral. They're outside the city. But I think what we're seeing here is not that you're going to have a bunch of unbelievers out there prowling around outside our new home on the outside of the city lurking about out there. They have their destiny. Really what he's speaking of here is the contrast between the blessed, those that are blessed that are in the holy city, that are saved, and those that are going to spend eternity separated from Christ. In verse 16, red letters again, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Remember, John was instructed in the beginning of this letter to write this letter to the seven churches that were there in Asia. And so that's what we're seeing here. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. That's our church today, not just the churches 2,000 years ago that John wrote to. That's to our church here, Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Jesus says, I'm the root, but I'm also the offspring of King David. I'm the root and I'm also the offspring of him, his kingly line that would come through David. Jesus says, I'm the bright and I'm the morning star. And just as that morning star arises in the morning and it dispels really all traces of darkness, we have a night and then the morning star arises. Jesus says, my coming is going to dispel all the darkness that has gone before it. The night is almost over. The sun is about to shine in its brilliance to dispel the darkness. It's on the verge. I'm coming quickly. It's imminent. The morning star, the bright and morning star is about to shine. 2 Peter 1.19 says this, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 17 tells us, and this is really the final invitation, and the spirit and the bride say, come. It's an invitation. Come. And let him who hears, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. It's an invitation. It's really an invitation now to those who know Christ and those who don't. Come. It's free. 
Come and take the living water. It's yours. I say, come, is what the Lord is saying to this world. But he says it to us as believers, come. Verse 18 says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, that if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. That is a stern statement. For somebody to add to the book of Revelation, for somebody to take away from what is being said in the book of Revelation. That's a warning. I wouldn't want to be one that does that. We don't mess with the word of God. We don't make it say what I want it to say. It says what it says. And I just simply need to say, God, reveal it to me. But I don't want to add to it and I don't want to take away from it. I stand accountable before God with his word. It's a warning. He who testifies, verse 20, to these things says, and here it is again, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. (laughs) That should be the cry of our heart. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Don't be afraid to say that. I know we have loved ones that we want to see come to know Christ. We don't want sometimes the Lord to come back today. We're praying for people to still be saved. Just trust that your Lord, your heavenly Father, knows exactly who those people are going to be. Trust and pray for them. Look for opportunities to be a witness. When that last person receives Christ, we're all going home. But don't be afraid to have that desire. Lord, come back quickly. I'm looking forward to that day. When this body just, I'm done with it. I have my new one. We're out of time. I wanted to close really with these seven blessings, if you want to say, that are in the book of Revelation. If you'll give me just three minutes, I'll read them to you. And I'll close with that. Revelation 1.3 says this, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, of this prophecy, and keep these things which are written in it, for the time is near. Blessed and happy are you. I hope that you have. I've been blessed. This has been a great book for me to study and to go through. For me. I've been blessed. But it also, there's seven of these in the book of Revelation. Great number. Seven blessings. Here's the second one. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. This is during the tribulation period when there's horrendous things being poured out upon this earth. Blessed are those that die, the dead who die in the Lord from now on. 
people are going to get saved during the tribulation period. Here's the third one. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he should walk naked and they see his shame. In chapter 19, verse 9, Then he said to me, Right blessed are those who were called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you know Jesus Christ, you're blessed and happy to know that you'll be there. Chapter 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. You're going to be reigning with Christ. Blessed and happy are you. 22, verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words and the prophecy of this book. And then lastly, 22, verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. I can't wait. And I hope that everyone here this morning knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't, please come up and see me. And make sure that you know him as your Lord and Savior. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each one that is sitting here today, Lord. It's ordained of you, Lord, that they would be here on this day to hear this message. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that it would stir all of our hearts afresh. Lord, that we would, Lord, be waiting with expectancy like we're sitting on the edge of our seat waiting for it to happen Lord you could come back at any moment let that grip my heart and Lord I just pray Lord for our church I pray that fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us today for those that are weak for those that are sick, for those that are feeling downcast, those that are struggling, those that are just needing to be stirred up in their hearts with a new passion and a zeal for you. Lord, would you meet us there right now? Would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit this morning? Empower us to go forth, Lord, today, Lord, as if it's our last day. And Lord, that we would go this next week if you delay and be witnesses for you. Give us your spirit, give us your power, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, Thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word. Mm-hmm.